Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition, episode, us trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives, Light the Fight <laughs> podcast. Here we go. Heidi and I always talk about when we grow up, someday we're going to be, what, Heidi? That's what we're trying to figure out. Well, I mean, we just keep, we're just so young at heart is what's happening. Mm, young at heart. I love when they, yeah, that's, that's a nice way to put our age. We're young at heart. Because I'm pretty sure that there's a birthday kind of happening for you here, uh, David. Or you know just what? There is, a, there is a birthday coming up, and I'm not in a spring chicken. I'm a fall chicken. <laughs> so I'm kind of more like on the way to winter. But don't worry. No, but we don't have to worry about you growing up. No. Don't have to worry about me growing up, maturing any of those things. So, Well, <laughs> in all seriousness, thanks to all of our Light the Fight listeners. Thanks for joining us, as always. Here at Light the Fight, and we are here to talk about more family relationships, your kids, answer some questions, everything that we love doing here for all of you out there here at Light the Fight. So, Heidi, that's right. What's on the docket? You can tell I'm feeling a little under the weather, so we're probably have to get right into it today. Um, I don't know if my normal bad sense of humor will be as delightful. You guys send vitamins. Send vitamins. <laughs> send vitamins. I thought you said vitamin, like vitamin vibes. Send vitamin vibes too. Um, Okay. So last week uh, we had the opportunity to speak um, to Sunset High School family and um, even some of the administration and faculty there. And I have to admit This is so we did it virtually. David and I were um, actually in our studio in um, in Draper, Utah, and it just is weird to do that. Don't freak out event um, virtually, because usually I can look out into the audience and I can literally on parents face. I can see like the stress and the anxiety. I can feel the turmoil. I, I sense my fellow freaker outers, you know, David usually will say like game recognizes game or something like, isn't that what you usually say, David? Shame, shame recognizes shame. shame and game, game recognizes game and shame recognizes shame. Yep. And freaker outers recognize other fellow freaker outers. And so usually I just that. can, I feel there I'm, I'm there with my people. Um, but virtually it's really, tricky because we can't see and we can't connect. Um, And, you know, like usually when you're giving a presentation, you're looking out and you, you can tell if it's, if it's hitting with people, you know, they're nodding their head, maybe they're taking notes. And obviously we didn't experience any of this. And um, I, I felt kind of like, 
I mean, we were getting questions and, and there were people like answering the chat. We, one of the questions that David always asks when we do this event is he says, you know, what are some of the things that cause you to freak out? And, um, you know, everybody like little things cause me to freak out. We talk about this all the time that I have a wet towel on the carpet issue, but like, you know, all the things that really scare parents and have them um, freak out started just to pour into the chat. Kids lying, um, bad grades, vaping, girlfriends or boyfriends that you don't like, um, depression, anxiety, suicide attempts, um, not agreeing on religion, not getting along with siblings. Like it just like pours in. And um, so anybody, I guess the reason why I mentioned this is just anybody who is listening, um, you have, we all have a lot of reasons to freak out. And um, Dave and I were on a call just, just yesterday, actually with um, some of the Utah, I don't know, what would you say, David, lawmakers, policymakers that we've been working with. And you know, we, this podcast and our Don't Freak Out event and anything that we do is not to try to shield us or fix us or prevent us from ever having anything go wrong in our life. Um, that's, that's impossible, right? We're always, there's always going to be things that come up um, unplanned and unsuspected and unwelcomed and that part we can't control but what we can't control is how we respond and so um you know no matter where you're listening from and as you're probably driving or folding clothes or maybe you're on an exercise bike somewhere and you may be taking inventory of some of of those things that might be just weighing heavy on your chest and, and causing you to want to freak out. Um, the reason why we're here and, and the reason why you're listening is to remind you that freaking out is not, um, not going to help. And we're going to talk about some solutions and, um, what we're going to do. We had a bunch of questions come in and we were able to answer some of them there, uh, last week. But we have some overflow questions that right. we wanted to take a, ch a chance and, and dish them up to Dave and, and get him to weigh in on them. Hello, does Heidi know I'm going to have her answer all the questions tonight because I'm not feeling all that great. So Heidi, get ready. <laughs> okay, I won't, I, I won't freak out. Um, I have a question. I mean, a question that I can really relate to. And honestly, if there's anything that our kids can do that just pushes the mom button, it is when the kids tease and provoke each other and just tease and tease and tease. Um, so here's the question. How do I deal with my kids teasing? She says, I have one in particular who spends his days teasing his sibling and the dog. And then he shuts down and feels like he's being picked on when he gets in trouble for it. Um, 
Man. David, talk to us. I I can't I can't respond to this one. I don't I don't have a well, PhD in in resolving teasing problems. I sure wish I did. Mm, mm. You have a uh, you like instigate teasing problems? Is, is that no? I have I have a you know get mad at everybody. The the as soon as the teasing just takes that one extra step into everybody crying or somebody crying, the other person hurt. And it's usually you guys in our family, it just happens right after family prayer, right before bed and, and things just like go off the rails. And then I'm mad and everybody goes to bed mad. So I really love that. Okay. So my suggestion is not going to be that. (laughs) Be something different. No, this one, this one's actually quite easy. Um, Even if you have a kid who's really over the top with the teasing and um, it's just kind of always been what you'd, you know, air quote, call like a problem child, always having behavioral issues. But if it's, you got a pretty decent kid, meaning like they don't have too many bad behavioral issues, but they're teasing the the siblings a lot. Um, This one, you're going to take a little page out of the, what we call the family business model, what I call the family business model. And part of the family business model that I teach parents is that you obviously need to partner up with your kids on as many projects or as many things that need to be taken care of and done throughout the family as possible. It gives your kids purposeful struggle, gives you guys a reason to work on something, and it allows them to feel like they're giving some sort of input to the family and that you're also feeling that they're giving some sort of, um, like they're putting something into the value of the family, right? So um, what you do is you take whoever this kid is, you pull them aside. You don't do all this in one conversation, but you pull them aside when there's no fighting, there's no teasing, there's no antagonizing. And you talk to them about how you appreciate their sense of humor, how you appreciate how, um, you know, they, they, they really, you know, they're really on top of things. And, and if some of their little brothers and sisters get online, you know, they let them have it and, you know, and just basically compliment them for all the things that they're doing even though they may not be doing it in the way you'd want them to do, if they do have a sense of humor, if they always joke around, compliment them for what exactly you believe at their best they're trying to do. Now, maybe they're tired of the little siblings, you know, getting away with everything. So they want to instigate them a little bit. Once you give these compliments and once you tell them, you know, that you appreciate, you thank it, stuff like that. Then you talk to them about, you have a role for them that you want them to play. Instead of just telling your kids, and this is what a lot of parents do, instead of just telling your kids, hey, listen, I need you to be a good example to your younger siblings. Instead of just saying that, there's a lot better things that you could say that's a lot more simpler and easy to understand. When kids hear this, I want you to be a better role model to your siblings. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. It's a bunch of asks. It's a bunch of things that you're saying, if you were to do this, my life would be easier. There's no real benefit for them. And Instead of saying, you know, those types of things, I want you to encourage your kid. Just say, listen, all these compliments, all these things I just told you, they're really true about you, you know, being great with your comedy, you know, it really lightens the family. Like you really help us out a lot. But then you tell them, you simply say, hey, listen, I need you to help me with something, though. And you give them the directive that if they were to help you, like maybe with one of the siblings who has a lower self-esteem, 
by playing games with that sibling, by being comic relief for that sibling. Now your job today is to make that sibling laugh, but not make them laugh in like a, where you're teasing them type of way, but you know, you know, get them going in some sort of way that, you know, their personality, you know, if, if, you know, I, I know my family, if it was my son, we'd just have to do some fart jokes or something like he's, you know, it's, it's easy to get him going. Right. But what you do is you encourage that same child to now play a role where they're going to be helping out specific people in the family. You can call it whatever you want to call it, call it, um, you know, try not to be too cheesy with the names like, you know, leadership role, you know, family, you know, um, you know, manager role, you know, you want to do it something like, Hey, you know, in, um, in charge of family entertainment, you know, and just kind of be very broad with, with what you call it. The reason why I'm saying this is because with the families that have had the kid who's the the antagonizer, the one who teases a lot, if you're just constantly getting after them and constantly yelling at them for all the behavior you don't want them to do, you're not reinforcing the behavior you want them to do. They're more likely to take on a role as helping the family if you're clever enough and if you spin it in a way that they're benefiting you by helping out a sibling who maybe he's had low self-esteem recently, they're benefiting you by maybe sitting down and playing a video game. This is one of the biggest ones. I've had so many older brothers that used to antagonize their little brothers. They specifically on a day said, Hey, every Thursday, you know, let's you and I play video games from two to three. Now in those times they played video games, the little brother got that attention that he wanted the older brother. So the little brother wasn't antagonizing the older brother throughout the day. The older brother is less likely to bully and antagonize and pick the little pick on the brother at night because he wasn't, you know, bothering him throughout the day. There's all these little things that happen with inside the family business. But if you pull the oldest child aside and you have that one-on-one, like, Hey, compliment them for something that they innately are doing. And then you spin it a little bit to help them so that they can see that they can have a role like family entertainment or, you know, um, emotional support human. I know one family, they came up with that. I've used that a couple of times, emotional support human. So, okay, could you be so-and-so's emotional support human? Who's that? Be dad's emotional support human tonight. Dad really needs, he had a hard day at work. Give them something that's specific towards something that they're naturally good at, but just put a spin on it so that they feel like they're benefiting the family instead of doing those things that are going to agitate the family. I like that. It's all about the approach, you know? So not yeah, man, that and telling everyone to knock it off. Yes, telling them to stop behaving a certain way. You're giving them lots of attention, but it's not necessarily good attention for what they're doing. Now, if you pull them aside and say, hey, I thought that was funny, even if you didn't really think it was funny. And, you know, it'd be funnier if you could help, you know, it'd be better if you could help me out with your jokes in a different way and give them a little just, you know, ideas of how they could help you. You'd be surprised how many times the kids, if they feel like they could do something to help their family out, that's not too far outside of their wheelhouse, like something that they're already kind of actually good anyways, who's not going to want to get those attaboys and those attagirls, those wins, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. We've got another question here and I'm just going to kind of, kind of read it. Um, I have a child who struggled with suicidal ideologies since she was 15 and lost her father. She's now 19 and I'm afraid I'm going to lose her. She made an attempt, a suicide attempt four months ago and spent three days in ICU and we almost lost her. I have struggled to find her help. The schools, colleges included, don't know how to deal with suicidal kids 
and help families. How do families find help? There seem to be wait lists um, if they have any room at all. Well, first and foremost, um, I, I can only imagine what Heidi's thinking, but my heart goes out to, you know, this mother and, and this family um, for the loss of their husband and dad and, and now to, you know, the, the, the ongoing struggles that the daughter's going through. Um, Heidi, you know, you and I have done a couple different episodes about this where we talk about how difficult it is for people to get help resources before an attempt, after an attempt. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles that people need help with. And there's unfortunately not like a system per se. There's lots of systems in place that help people um, once they're in a specific, you know, situation. But generally speaking, it's been one of the biggest frustrations that Heidi and I have, have had. And, and actually would want Heidi to weigh in on this a little bit because Heidi and I did an episode basically talking about like, you can't give up. Every single time I've, I've worked with the family, how they found me or certain things that happened, um, it did not happen overnight. That's for sure. <laughs> And some things that happened were definitely not in their best fortune, didn't work out their way. And then, you know, something else would happen that, you know, would work out in, in their way and, and help their situation. But um, Heidi, why don't you weigh in for a little bit? Um, just, you know, some of your thoughts when you hear a mother, you know, express herself like that. You know, one of the things that I've said to David before is, and and probably a mom like this feeling the same same thing, like, I can't lose somebody else. You know, I've, I've said those words to, to David. I just can't lose another, another person. I can't go through this again. I can't have this happen again. And David's response to me has, well, actually you can, you know, that, that, that could happen. Um, and I, I only, I only bring that up because I think that it's important not to sit and think about like all the things that can go wrong and how devastating that would be because, uh, you know, we've talked about the time machine before. It's, it's really easy to, to sit and think worst case scenario. And, and if you guys, if any of you listeners are like me, I don't, I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we sit and just think of what the worst case scenario would be. Um, but I want to share three things that I think that you can do in, in the moment, especially, you know, when you're worried that you, the, the greatest thing that you have right now, and to any parent who's listening that has had a child attempt and who has had a child in treatment is the greatest thing about your situation is that you, that you know about it. Okay. It's out on the table. It's not a secret. It's um, everybody is aware and your child knows that, you know, and just knowing what kind of what you're up against is, is such an advantage. And so I, I always like to tell people that number one, acknowledge it and, and do this with statements. I know that I know that you're struggling or I can see that today's a hard day or you've really been on my mind. Please know that I'm here. If you 
If you'd like to talk, I'm available. I would always want to listen. And and then be there to listen. Um, one thing that I hear a lot from individuals who have, who do struggle with suicidal feelings or have had an attempt is that they don't like it when everybody pretends like it never happened or kind of tries to brush it off. Knowing that, that that's, that it's happened and acknowledging that somebody's struggling is, is really important. I think, I mean, David, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Um, but last next, thing anyone wants to do is go through a horrible time in their life, but next to that, no one wants to go through the horrible time in their life without anyone even acknowledging it, knowing it, or having any sense of how difficult that was. Absolutely. Um, another thing, and I mean, I it's different to have a 19 year old daughter, maybe, and a 10 or 11 year old son, but I want to share. Um, an experience um, when my youngest son was dealing with quite a bit of, of suicidal thoughts. And um, from time to time, things got pretty dark for him. And what we wound up doing was creating like a word. And so he wouldn't have to come to me and say, mom, I'm having all of these really bad, dark feelings and I'm scared. You know, he wouldn't have to tell me like all that stuff. He would just say the this word. And that gave me the clue that he needed some support and some connection. And um, then, I, then I was able to just kind of swing into action and do some just know that I needed to do some extra listening. Um, for him, it was some extra cuddling and just finding ways to, to get in the open. And, and, and actually for us, it, it also meant sitting down and looking at pictures of Corey and talking about Corey. Um, one of the, so, so we were able to figure out one of the things that really made him the saddest, um, was just missing Corey. And, in this particular question, um, you mentioned that she's really missing her dad still, you know, four years, man, four years is still fresh, fresh feelings of just really missing someone that you love. And I'm going to tell you that the best thing that you can do when you're missing somebody is to pull out pictures and start telling stories. And pretty soon you're laughing and you're remembering. And those stories are just full of light and full of love. And it's amazing. Even though you're sad and you're still missing them, the connection that happens when you start to share those stories is really, really powerful. One of the things we talk about is to to work on having connection before you show concern. And so even though you're very, very concerned about your daughter, which you should be, and of course, of course you are, find ways to connect rather than just being afraid. Um, 
It might be listening. It might be shopping. It might be cooking together. Whatever that thing is that she cares about, you go to the thing that she cares about and be interested in the thing that she cares about rather than trying to get her interested in the things that you care about. And even especially if you're willing to go outside of your comfort zone to do something that she might be interested in or that she really likes to do, maybe listening to music that she likes, even though you kind of hate it, or going to shopping or going to the restaurant that she really likes or, or something, that just makes a huge difference in connecting, um, which will open up doors for opportunities to listen and support. So th- those are my those are my suggestions, David. Um, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, didn't I, really, I, I like. I didn't. It. I didn't really hit on um, finding resources. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's me. Difficult one because we don't know where she's. You know where 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 she's at, where she's located at, um, and she's right. The the finding resources it's such a big such a big topic because there's you know we don't know all the different resources her and her daughter may or may not need. I know she mentioned college. She's 19, so she's in college now. Um, but I that's why I wanted you to weigh in on that because you know when we talk about this, no matter what the situation is, it's going to take a lot of time, realistic expectations knowing that when something doesn't go your way, you can't just throw in the towel and, and, and give up because there's a lot of times where parents have told me that they wanted to give up where they did give up for the while giving up, meaning not that they gave up on their child. They just kind of threw in the towel in regards to trying to find better resources, um, better referrals. And, you know, every single time I talk to someone, you know, despite how long it took them, they were thankful that they didn't give up. And, you know, it's, you're really modeling that for, you know, your children and your loved ones who are struggling with mental health issues. It's easy to want to give up because, you know, it, you know, with mental health issues and emotional issues, you know, there's no x-ray machine that can just show, oh yeah, they've got 80% depression. So, you know, we better get them some help, you know, and here's the exact type of help that they need. So since it isn't cookie cutter like that, it's important, like Heidi said, for us to stay close to our loved ones and connect with them. The more connected we are, the less likely they are to be going through something, not open up and talk about it. And in that case, if they are talking to us, their family members or loved ones, they're going to have all the best resources available to them that we can provide and, and that we know of, because that's what family and friends do for each other, you know? Absolutely. Um, there's another question, and this yeah. is a really... This is a really tough topic, and it's actually one that I don't have um, personal experience experience with, but David, I know that you do. So um, this question says, my daughter was raped by an ex-boyfriend. Would love to talk about how to help her know her worth and that that one thing doesn't define her or who she is. Um, my heart really goes out to the person who, who wrote in this question and, and also this daughter and, and anybody who has been, um, who, who's experienced this kind of trauma. 
Um, so David, I know that this has been something that you've worked with, with many kids that have dealt with this situation. Um, what would you say? Yeah. Um, well, say that I, I was caught up on the actual question part. I, at the very end of it cut out. Did What was the question part? Was she asking for how to support someone? I didn't catch would that. Would love part. to talk about how to help youth know know her worth and that that one thing doesn't define doesn't define gotcha. Her. gotcha the one thing yeah, i didn't get that far. um yeah um you know it's heidi you know you said it when when you hear something come from a parent's mouth and it's something that's happened that they can't take back or they can't you know make undone or they can't undo it there, there's just a certain sense of um, it's like, you can tell her, her breath's been taken away. It's like, you, you don't want your child to go through tough things in life, but there's certain tough things that once they've gone through it, you know, you're looking at them, you want to see them for how strong they're capable of being. You want to see them for all these amazing, great things about them, but it's hard not to take into account, you know, this difficult tragedy in, in this case, this trauma that, that she went through. Um, in, in the times that I've worked with young women and young men that have been molested, raped, you know, in, in some way, shape or form, sexually abused, you know, it's, it's always, it's always a challenge between helping them heal, allowing them to feel what the pain they're going through, allow them to, to recognize when it's time to move on and to be honest and open with their experience, but at the same time, don't own that experience as part of who they are. Um, language is, is very important. From my experience, the best thing to do when you are talking with someone that you know you love and you care for that has been, you know, in some way, shape, or form sexually molested, raped, or abused. Um, when you're talking about certain subjects that tend to either trigger them or subjects that just, you know, are difficult subjects for them to discuss and talk and talk about, be very cautious, be very careful check with them to make sure that they're, that they're okay with, with the discussion, the conversation. And the reason why I said language is so important is because when we say things in statement forms, and we're always big on statements here um, in this podcast, because statements have a very unique exposure and vulnerability and openness to them that, that questions don't. So when you're supporting someone that you know has gone through something like this and they open up to you about it or you know that they're struggling with it at that particular time make statements to them that let them know that you see them you hear them and that's not how you see them or hear them so for example if a friend were to open up to you and you know um, when i say a friend like let's say i'm talking to a, you know an older teenager and her girlfriend opens up to her and tells her about you know something that happened in the past it was something that was reported it was something that was dealt with but she opens up and shares that, you know, that thing, um, I always coach teenagers to express to their friends, thank them, you know, thank you so much for sharing this with me. Thank you for trusting the, this information with me. So you always want to thank the person, even if they've talked about this before, even if they've shared these ish type of feelings before, whenever they say, or, say it again, and they talk about thank them, appreciate them for, for just being open, and honest with you and trusting you with that information Then after you thank them and to tell them, you know, all those wonderful things that, that you appreciate about them sharing that with you, then you also want to be able to make a different type of statement. You want to tell them that you are very thankful that they're talking to you about this because you're a person that sees them 
in different lights. So for example, you want to validate whatever they're going through, whatever they're saying, if they're feeling bad about themselves, but the first opportunity you get, you can tell them, well, I'm glad you're telling me about this stuff because I'm a person who feels like I know you very well. And from what I know about you, this does not define you. This is not who you are. This is what you've been through, but it doesn't describe who you are. I don't see you as a person that's been through that. I mean, like that's who you are. I see you as a person that's been through that. And because of this, you know, you're, you're working through challenges and difficulties and struggles. No one else has had to go through. And you're also able to see life and you're also able to be stronger in all these other ways. So there's a lot of great things you can do as a support person to take certain statements, take those statements and twist them into something that's just, you're sitting there and you're supporting them. The reason why it's, it's dangerous to ask questions, because you could be asking a lot of questions to a person about what they're going through that they may not be ready to answer. Maybe they don't know how to even talk about it quite yet, but by making the statements, it gives them that, Hey, I see you. I hear you. I, I have a certain reverence for what you've been through. And also, I also don't necessarily see you that way, but I'm glad you see me as a person you can trust with this information. That's the, it's, it's a very basic step-by-step process, but because, you know, her daughter and her situation may be going through one thing, you know, I got to be careful not to give so two specific ideas and suggestions for someone that, you know, this could be a more of a general situation for. Right. And, and I think that anytime anyone, I mean, I guess what I want to say is, is going through um, what this young woman has gone through in, you know, being raped by someone that she trusted um, is a significant amount of trauma, probably really hard to talk about and um, feeling like, you know, all the feelings that, that go with that. But anytime anybody brings you something that is, um, something that they're ashamed of, even if it's not something quite as serious, it's always a good idea to thank them and let let them know how grateful you are that that you that they trust you, um, and that you're going to take what they say very seriously, that you're going to hold it in confidence and in in reverence, and um, not go and tell somebody or you know, something like that. So, so sometimes, yeah. um, you know, one thing and, and, um, that I would. Well, and also too, I want to say in there, I, I, I didn't mention this cause I, I assume that this would be assumed in the question, but I'll say it just, just so I'm clear. If someone does, if you're listening to this podcast and someone confesses you and opens up and tells you this type of information, do all the things I'm saying, but also to clarify with them to make sure that, you know, this is not the first time they're telling someone this, because if they're telling you this for the first time and this information has never gotten out at all, there would be a different, you know, course of action, you know, like talking to them, you know, based upon their age, if they're other, if they're under 18, if, you know, this would be something you'd have to report if they're over 18, you know, there'd be something that they may want to, you know, talk to a police officer about or get some therapy with. So just so it's it's clear and stated, if someone confesses something like this to you, and this is something that they've never gone through the proper channels and never reported, talked about, that's always the most important thing that they're safe 
and that this is reported. If this old past information, something that they've already been through treatment with, or is maybe they're currently going through, my suggestion was more based upon that. A mother helping out a daughter who's going through, you know, just dealing with it as it comes up, a friend helping out another friend, you know, that type of scenario. And that's a, that's a good clarification because um, you'd always want to find somebody to report anything. um, Yeah. Anything like, like that. Um, You know, I think that as we, as we end our episode, um, one thing that I just want, I wanted to emphasize is I was reading over the questions and um, not just that, the, just these couple that we've shared tonight, but also um, what we touched on last week is in in any situation, you know how I was talking in the beginning, like there's a lot of reasons w- that we have to, to freak out as, um, as parents and, and we don't really know what's going to come up. Um, we really want to work to make sure that our kids know that in any situation, we are an ally to them. And um, one thing that I just, I wanted to to bring up is, and, and I'm gonna have David weigh in on this. Um, I am like a natural devil's advocate and one of the things that I was noticing in an interaction that I had um, just in, in my home. And I got talking about this with a couple uh, of friends of mine. Um, When I have a kid that comes home and even if I've done the statements, um, maybe I've said something like, "Eh, it looks like you had a, seems like you had a rough day at school. And maybe my kid opens up to me, you know, telling me what, how much they hate their math teacher and how their grades and their test scores and everything is their math teacher's fault. Right. Um, it's, it's really natural for me to just like immediately start saying, you know, actually this isn't, you know, you can't blame stuff on your math teacher and your math teacher is, in charge and you got to do, you know, I, I, I just always kind of go in with this, like defending the math teacher, or I I just can't stop myself from being a devil's advocate. And this just kind of dawned on me that I think that all of us as parents, we have this like natural want to correct our kids in any of these situations. If it's teasing, if it's, you know, they're feeling bad if they're being rejected by their peers, if they're mad at that, you know, we just, we just want to do this natural course correction. Um, before you ever swing into this devil's advocate role, take the time to see it from your kid, to be on your kid's side. And just say, you know what? That must be so hard. And uh, I hate math. I hate, I feel like math brings out the worst in me. Or just take a minute before you start 
you know, pointing out things that they did wrong or things that they could do better or ways that they could fix the situation. Take an opportunity to be on your kid's side. Listen to them. Let them vent to you and and be, and, and this is something that I've watched David do so beautifully. Even with me, I've seen him do it as he answers questions and I guess I'm just, I had just my own little um, light bulb moment realizing when I may or may not have had a kid this week that said, why do you always take the other person's side? And um, I stopped for a second and just realized that as a parent, we do feel this role of, of course, correcting but we have a golden opportunity to make sure that they feel like we are an ally and we are someone they can talk to and come to before we, we ever dive into that um, devil's advocacy. I mean, what, (laughs) what would you say to that, to that comment, David? (laughs) Uh, That you're a devil's advocate. I would agree. Yes, I would. Yeah. (laughs) No, well, I, I I think yeah, I appreciate you you adding that that little added insight and on top of it because that's what uh that's what our mojo is all about. Heidi uh Heidi brings she's really good at at pinpointing problems, pinpointing <laughs> questions. She brings it to me. I start to give a suggestion, then she says why that won't work, and then I say okay, and then yeah, six months I'm later she really comes back good. and says, you know, it turns out I'm you were sure. right, Dave. <laughs> Turns out you're right. That actually did work. I should have listened to you more often. I've sooner. mentioned to you before, you guys, I am such a slow learner. It's it's so interesting when it finally, like, through the fog, like the horn, finally, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm the resistance, just so in case anybody's wondering, the resistance is still s- strong with this one. It's still strong so. with you? <laughs> Um, well, David, thank you for chiming in on those questions. Thank you to those of you who um, reached out with those questions and we love to hear from you. And um, it's our goal to be able to give you different perspectives. And as David always calls them suggestions in dealing with situations that are going to come up again, just because they, they will, um, and being in control and not freaking out and being somebody that your loved one feels comfortable enough to come to and talk to is the most important thing. It's our highest goal. Um, and so thank you for being here and listening and just by virtue of you being here and listening is evidence that you, that you want to be that person in the lives of the people that you love. And so thank you for being here and for listening. Um, and thank you for helping us to light the fight.